traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. My biggest motto is let your faith be bigger than your fears. And so that is how I go through life. So if I'm fearful of it, I tell my faith to be bigger. And then I I act upon it. And I grew up in the church. Um, My grandparents had me at church every week um, and then Bible study on Wednesdays. So my spiritual background just keeps me grounded. And I go with everything with God. Awesome. It's always good to have God included in everything. Yes. Are you looking to buy or sell your home, but not quite sure if now is the right time? Well, contact Morgan & Co. and allow them to help you make that decision. Morgan & Co. is a leading, top-producing company in Central Virginia. Contact Morgan & Co. today at 804-874-6806 or anytime, day or night, at www.morganandcorealty.com. Now back to the episode. Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast, where I find regular people doing extraordinary things and phenomenal things in corporate America and in business. Of course, I'm your host, Dr. K. I have with me today a very special guest, LaToya Washington. Phenomenal woman, um, not only because she is my wife, but because she is a real estate mogul an investor, and so many other wonderful things, but I will allow her to introduce herself to you. So as he stated, my name is Latoya Washington. I am his phenomenal wife. Um, I'm a real estate mogul as well as a real estate investor, as well as I'm a business consultant. All right. Great introduction. Um, So tell me a little bit about uh, what you do on a day-to-day basis. So on a day-to-day basis for me, that looks like um, I assist clients with purchasing homes as well as selling their homes. And I also work with other investors that are looking to invest in real estate. Um, I also do mentoring uh, for businesses that are startups. um, And I also teach first-time homebuyers courses as well as the pre-licensure course to be able to get your real estate license. That is a whole lot. (laughs) That is a whole lot. Um, So real estate investing, we hear a lot about um, real estate investing. A lot of people find real estate in general interesting, and they also find, of course, investing, but a lot of people don't know how. Um, So I want you to break that down for us. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about who LaToya was before real estate. Hmm. Who LaToya was before real estate? That is a great question. Um, A lot of you may not know, but I actually used to be in nursing. So I was in the medical field. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, My purpose, I feel like, is helping others, serving others. So for me, that was a very rewarding career. However, it does take a lot of time away from me and my family um, because I am taking care of others. So I had to make a change. And so with that change came real estate for me. It allowed me to be able to 
still have that service to others, but um, be able to have my own time freedom as well. Um, and it also allowed me to be able to uh, help others be able to get generational wealth. So be able to take that next step in life, whether they're purchasing a first time home or whether they are purchasing an investment property. Um, and as you stated, real estate investing, sometimes that word is used very loosely, um, but real estate investing can be done in several ways, um, whether that is you're a silent partner, um, where you're joining in a joint venture with someone who's already doing a project in real estate. Um, so maybe they are doing a rehab to a home, also known as a fix and flip, and they just have some money available that they want to put to work. And so they can be a silent partner where they've now just given some money to that investment and they're going to get a return on the investment once the property sells. Um, another option would be to actually go in yourself and purchase a home. You can either fix and flip and do the rehab yourself, or you can actually do um, a hold where it's more long term. So maybe you're going to hold on to that property and have it as a rental um, or you Airbnb it um, or you can actually just have it for yourself and just build your portfolio to where you just have multiple homes that you just hold on to. Maybe you're not doing anything with it. Um, some of my clients, that's the strategy that we use is if we know it's in an up and coming neighborhood, we may go ahead and purchase while it's low. And then keep it boarded up and just hold on to that property until we start seeing the market kind of change in that area. And now we'll go ahead and rehab and put it on the market. Okay, so you, you mentioned a key word there, strategy. So there's tons of different ways to invest in real estate or to be a real estate investor. But how do you help either your clients or how do you know for yourself which strategy is best? Like, How do you determine that? Um, honestly, based on your capital, for one, um, because, of course, your fix and flips are going to require a little more capital. Um, your hold, your properties that you're holding on to for a little bit, those you can sometimes get great financing to where you don't have to have a whole lot up front. Um, if it's you don't own a property currently, then you can still be considered a first time home buyer but be purchasing an investment property. So a lot of people don't understand that. They think that, oh, if I want to use the first time home buyer, I have to actually be living in this property forever. Um, but honestly, you don't. You can be a first time home buyer, live in the property for a year, and then choose to rent it out. Okay. As long as your intentions is that is your primary home, then you can definitely utilize the resources that are out here. So I always talk strategy with my clients first. Great. And so the strategy would be long term or is it short term or is it cash? Or so it that all depends on the client. So when I have my consultations with my clients at the very beginning, when they reach out to me, um, we talk about what is their end goal. So what is it that you're looking to accomplish? And I then go from there to say what it is I think that they can do. Um, so if you tell me I'm looking to have I have this much money and I'm looking to get a return on it in a year, then maybe we are doing a fix and flip or maybe we're going to do um, 
a property where you're a silent investor. So you're going to do like a joint venture with other people if you don't have the time to put in that sweat equity. And so what if what if my strategy is joint venture? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have like a list of people to joint venture with? Do I have to find my own people? How do I even know how to do a joint venture? <laughs> Great question. Um, I actually have a network of investors. Um, so me, myself, I'm an investor. And then, of course, I network with a lot of other investors who are looking to have someone be able to put in some capital. And they're willing to give you a return on that. Okay. So, yes, I can provide those resources to you as well. All right. Great. So you mentioned um, that you was in nursing. How do you feel your career in nursing has helped you or hindered you in, in real estate? Um, I would say with the nursing, it helped me to be able to understand different perspectives. Um, so I'm able to not take things personally, because when you are dealing with someone who is sick, you don't know what they're feeling or going through. So sometimes they can be snappy. Sometimes they may come off as being aggressive when it's really they're just dealing with something that they've never dealt with before and they don't know the outcome. So it's the fear of the unknown. So in real estate, it's the same thing. When I'm dealing with a client who is looking to purchase a home and maybe they're looking to do a fix and flip or they're looking to be a landlord and have a rental property that's going to be more of a long term, they don't know the unknown. So they're fearful. So for me, as a nurse, I was able to have that empathy. I was able to adjust and adapt and not take things personally, but to help them understand that I'm here with them throughout that entire process. So why did you choose nursing to begin with? Nursing has always been my passion. Since I was a little girl, I always said that I was going to be a pediatrician, actually. Um, But I decided not to become a pediatrician um, with the way my life was going. Being a mom and a military spouse, um, I had to make a couple sacrifices and take a different path. But nothing stopped me. So growing up as a little girl, you're... Your aspiration was to be a pediatrician or in healthcare in some form. Yes. So what was it like growing up? Tell me about your childhood. Um, I am a sibling of four, and I do have some stepsisters and brothers out there as well. Um, I have my mom who was very active in my life. Um, so she helped me through a lot of things in life that, you know, us as girls we faced and we don't know um, with like the bullying and things of that nature. But for me, um, I overcame a lot of stuff because I mostly stayed to myself. I was a book nerd. So I still to this day, I read all the time. Um, And so I also did dance and I did color guard. And so for me, just staying active and in my books, I mean, it helped me because that's how I am still to this day. Like I read. stay active and I read. I read a lot. <laughs> I'm currently reading two books at one time. How are you reading two books at one time? <laughs> whichever book, one is in my car and then one's at the house. So whichever one I have with me, that's the one I'm reading. And you can follow both of those stories? Yes, definitely. Because usually I try and mix it up. So one's a fun book and then one would be like development. Okay, well... 
What two books are you reading now? Right now, I am reading uh, Feeding the Soul by Tabitha Brown. And then the other book is Rick Ross, Boss Up. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like two good books. I know um, Tabitha's book recently came out, right? Yes. And is doing quite well. Yes, number, number one, one bestseller in New York Times, Auntie so, Tab. So are you enjoying it, though? I am. I am loving that book. It, it's great to be able to hear her story and the things that she had to overcome to mm. get where she is now. And just knowing that she kept the faith and she didn't give up on her dreams and look at where she is today. It's never too late. I read two. I know a lot of the viewers probably read, um, but two books at one time, that's a lot of reading. <laughs> what, um, what do you get from books that you feel you don't get from just watching the show or something? Um, I feel like shows always have a underlying message. And yes, of course, a book is telling you a story. So in the end, there's a message to it as well. Um, but for me, the books, I am getting to be in my imagination. I am able to pick up on additional vocabulary that maybe, you know, I didn't know before. Um, I'm also able to kind of put myself in the character shoes and so instead of me hearing it from the voices on the television show, I'm able to hear it from myself. And so I give them voices. I give them character. So for me, it's fun. All right. It's, I, I agree. With this <laughs> um, a lot of I've heard that a lot of successful people, CEOs, uh, billionaires, multimillionaires, they do a lot of reading. And that's probably why you're saying like it, it kind of expands your mind. It lengthens your vocabulary. And I think the stats were like they do, they read like a book a week, something like that. Yeah. So I'm a bit of a slow reader when I read. I do a lot of reading, but when I read, I, I process while I read. And so I know people who they kind of, yeah, that skim reading. But I have to process each sentence and I kind of get it for the context that it's in. So that kind of slows me down. So it probably takes me about a, maybe two to three weeks to read a book where somebody else might read it in a week. So that's yeah. why I could never read two books. <laughs> My goal is to read 40 books a year. Okay. So, yeah. And you have a book club too. I do. I do. So I've, um, started up a book club with some of my close friends and so we read one book a month um we all pitch in on the different titles and what we want to read so we'll do some self-development we'll do some fun books and we meet up at a restaurant or anywhere maybe a girlfriend's house and we try and cook a meal based on something that was in that story um or book and then we just talk about it and it's cool to see the different perspectives on what you may have gotten from the book compared to what I got from the book. Yeah, that's interesting how, how two or more people can read the exact same book and get something totally different out of it. Or they just dissect a certain message. It's almost like mm -hmm. being in church, right? When you're, yes. You know, the, the pastor is preaching and delivering the message, but it speaks to me a lot differently than it speaks to you. And we're sitting on the exact same pew. Yeah. It's where you are in that moment in time. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. Sounds like a whole lot of fun. So tell me about your back to your real estate. Um, what what your company is, what you do and what your company as a whole does. 
Okay. Um, my company is Morgan & Co. Realty. Um, a lot of people don't know, but Morgan is my middle name. <laughs> so I go by that sometimes. Um, so Morgan & Co. Realty right now is brokered by EXP Realty. Um, I actually started off in real estate in Jacksonville, Florida under Keller Williams. And I moved here to Virginia. And when I moved to Virginia, I had to start all over, which some people give up. But instead, I decided to go ahead and take the course again, do my testing. And so I've now been in real estate for a total of seven years. Awesome. In that seven years, I'm quite sure you've learned a whole lot. What do you feel uh, the market is right now that we're currently in? Um, the market is actually changing. So we were in a seller's market with the whole pandemic. Uh, things were kind of crazy. It was a market that um, a lot of us as professionals have never seen before, um, where prices are skyrocket. I mean, 30% over asking. Um, you're seeing a lot of, you know, fix and flips and the houses are back on the market like that. Um, but right now it's starting to slowly steady out. And I think that's also because of the interest rates are going up just a little bit. I mean, they're still at about 3.1%, whereas, you know, during the pandemic, we were at 2.5, 2.3. So jumping up a whole point right now, some of the buyers are like, whoa. So they're kind of stepping back. And then we had a shortage of inventory for a long time during the pandemic. We didn't have enough houses, but we had a lot of buyers because they were able to qualify and with the interest rate being so low, they're able to qualify for more home than they would have been able to when the interest rates were back at the 3.5s and 4%. But now with the interest rates turning around, um, the buyers have kind of slowed down and we're now getting more inventory. So I believe the market will end up neutralizing to where we'll have the, a balance, more so of a balance with that. All right. When we talk about inventory in real estate, what are we talking about? We are talking about homes, whether that is a rental, whether that is a townhouse, a condo, a single family or a multifamily. Um, we just had nothing. Even people who were looking to rent homes were having a hard time. And we would have I would have sellers who would sell their home but had nowhere to go. And we would try and find them short term rentals. And even the short term rentals would be full. So it was like, I need to find a family member I could stay with until my next home is ready. But they wanted to capitalize on the market and be able to get that money. So it was it was a very different market, but I'm glad to see it starting to balance a little bit. What happens when the market balances? What does that do for either a buyer or seller for the market in general? What, what does that do for them? So when the market balances out, it allows there to be an equal playing field. Um, so during the seller's market, during the pandemic, we had sellers that were able to basically say, no, I'm not doing nothing for you. People were waiving inspections. People were um, doing an appraisal gap. And an appraisal gap is when, uh, let's say you're selling your home for $500,000 and Maybe they offered you five hundred and twenty thousand or five hundred and fifty thousand. Someone may put in their contract. I'm willing to pay the difference between what the house appraises at and what I actually offered you. So if they offered you five hundred and fifty thousand dollars and your house only appraised for five hundred, 
they were coming to the table with $50,000. So, oh, they have to pay that gap of the difference of what the bank appraiser is saying the home is worth. Yes, because the bank isn't going to lend you more than what the house is valued at. Okay. And so they were coming to the closing table with cash to do it. And we had a lot of people that were migrating from different places because the market had changed so much. And you had this influx of how much homes were valued at. Then you had people coming from New York where the cost of living is a lot higher. They were going to Atlanta. They were going, you know, people coming from Cali, going to Virginia or D.C. And so with that, they have more cash available. So they're coming in to the state and they're purchasing cash flat out no financing. So with them, it was a lot easier. So you're having these bid wars and bid wars is when it's more than one person trying to purchase a home. And so now the seller is having all of these offers presented to them and they have to figure out which one best suits their goal and what they were looking for. But it's good to have options. Oh so yeah, it is. it is good. <laughs> Do you think uh, the, the market's going to crash because of the the previous market that we were just in? You said it was a seller's market. People were making, you know, outrageous offers on homes or what I wouldn't even say it was outrageous. What we saw as outrageous only because we weren't used to that type of mm-hmm. purchase. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was outrageous. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of them were outrageous. I okay. will say that. Um, I always told my clients going in. Yes, we made, I made a lot of offers that were over asking price. Um, And I tell people asking price is not necessarily what that house is valued at. Asking price, you have to understand as a realtor and a seller, you go in and you strategically price a house to put it on the market because at the end of the day, our job is to make sure we get you the highest and best offer we can. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. A house (laughs) over asking (laughs) Okay, so having a home, the asking price that's Uh listed, that is not necessarily what the house is valued at. So realtors, we go in as a professional and we say, this is what the market is showing. We may price the house in the median range just so that we can get more buyers in to be able to see the house because our job to the seller is to make sure we get you the highest and best offer that we can for your home. So if I put a house on the market for 450, but I know that house could sell for 500, just because you give me 450 doesn't mean that somebody giving me 500, it's like, oh, that's outrageous. They gave 50,000 over asking. No, the house is actually valued at that. But we want it to be able to drive traffic in because it's marketing. We want to be able to get the most people to see the home and get those offers into them. So the price for that, house, let's say I'm going to use like a car dealership. So if I walk into a car dealership and I see a sticker on that car and it says Mm $40,000, but then there's all these other, you know, they have all the features and amenities and and add-ons for that vehicle. And then the vehicle ends up being worth $55,000. Yes. So, and then they may have some rebates and discounts. Mm -hmm. So the vehicle is worth the 55 because it has all of these features. Yes. But you're getting it minus those rebates. So somebody might say, well, I'm paying more than the 40000 So I'm overpaying. But you're not overpaying. Yes. 
you're paying for those additional But they put things. that sticker price on there for marketing. So that exactly. you can come in, you can say, okay, and it, it creates more interest. Exactly. In because if I take those features away, are you still interested in this car? No. Exactly. So the same thing in a house. Mm-hmm. If I bought a house and I've put work into it, so I've put granite countertops, I've changed out bathrooms, I've given you like a deck on the back, a patio, all these things are upgrades. All these things add value to the home. And so just because I'm listing at this price doesn't mean that that's actually the value of the house. So some people, we take a look at the market and we look at the comparables and try to make sure that they match up and what the market shows the prices are. Buyers are what makes the market. You guys determine what the prices are of homes. Right. We give value to the dollar. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the homes. And so I try and tell my clients going in, what's your strategy? How long are you looking to be in this house? And that's how we can determine what price point is reasonable. So yes, some of the offers that were out here were outrageous because some of them didn't plan to be in the home long. So they're never going to recoup that money. But if I talk to my clients and I know you're going to be in this home for five years, 10 years, you're going to get that money back plus some. Okay. So again, all back to the strategy. You got to have, you got to have the right professional who understands the game in the market Mm -hmm. and knows how to come in strategically so that you can get the the best out of it. The most bang for your buck. Absolutely. So how has your company been doing? Uh, My company has been doing good. I actually went independent in March of 2021. So this year. And I've done $6.5 million in sales. Awesome. So top producing out here. And my goal is to hit $10 million before the end of the year. And I'm on track. I don't doubt you. <laughs> I don't doubt you. I know you're going to do it. That's great. That's great. Where do you see the company going in the next you know, two to five years or so? Um, two to five years, I plan to have a, a brokerage, a team. Um where we have everything in-house, that is our mortgage team, our title team, and also being able to train and develop. Um, That is the biggest thing I tell people all the time that want to get into this business is that you have to understand that real estate school is teaching you laws and ethics. They're teaching you how to not get in trouble and break the law (laughs) so that you don't get fined or lose your license. But they don't teach you how to sell real estate. They don't teach you how to strategically price things, how to market those things. So you need to make sure you pick the right brokerage to actually be able to get that development because the market is always changing. So you have to be able to adapt and change with it. In most careers, I always talk about the two elements, the art and the science. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing with real estate, what you're talking about. They, they, They teach you. The science. Yes. They teach you the book answer step by step what you're supposed to do, like you said, so you don't get fined, Mm -hmm. so you don't violate any laws, so you don't have any ethical violations. You treat everybody fairly. But very few people know the art of sales. Yes. Very few people know the art of being an effective realtor. So that's what you're talking about. Yes. It's all about relationships. It's all about networking, making those connections. And helping them to understand that you, too, are a consumer. So you, too, have been in their situation and that you're with them throughout the journey because they've never done it before. And even some that have done it before 
I mean, it, it's different every time. Yeah. Or maybe it was years ago. Right? Mm-hmm. So they think they know everything, but the market has changed. Like you just exactly. said, Exactly. you recently <laughs> had a seller's market and now you're in more of a balanced market. Mm-hmm. So somebody who bought a house, you know, 20 years ago, completely, completely different, different now. Style. They, they think they know because, oh, I bought a house. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you got to stay current. Um, speaking of that, how do you go about staying current in the market? Where do you get your your know-how, your knowledge? How do you stay involved? So I'm a part of the National Association of Realtors, as well as my local uh, Richmond Association of Realtors. And with that, I get a lot of updates. I also stay updated with my mortgage lenders. So I have preferred mortgage lenders that I deal with and they keep me updated on interest rates, how they're changing, what may affect it. Um, And then I also, I attend a lot of trainings and webinars. And even though I'm a business coach and mentor myself, I have a coach. If you all, whoever you're getting your mentorship and coaching from should have a coach as well. We all have something to learn and we're going to learn until the day we die. Absolutely. <laughs> if you stop learning, then you're going to start dying really yeah, quickly, right? Exactly. Because you're not progressing. All right. If you're not progressing, you're regressing. That is. See? Interesting. <laughs> Dropping jewels. <laughs> so uh, you said you get a lot of your stuff by staying current with all the associations and education, but you are also an educator. Yes. So what uh, type of things do you teach? So I teach um, pre-licensure course. So that is just teaching you laws and ethics, keep you from breaking the law, keep you from getting fined. Um, and then I also licensure for what? For your real estate license to be a sales associate. Okay. So that's how they become a realtor. Exactly. So you go through my course, which is a 60 hour course. Um, and once you finish, you take a final exam. As long as you pass that final exam, you can sit before the board and take your state and uh, national exam. And so you have two tests that you're taking, and that's usually through Pearson View at a testing center. And once you take that, you receive your license through the actual state. Okay. And your course is held how? How Um, My courses are held in person at a training facility. Do you enjoy teaching? I do. I love teaching. I always um, am asked questions often. Uh-huh. Um, I get a lot of DMs. And so I said, you know what? Let me go ahead and teach the course. Let me go ahead and become a mentor and give back. So this is my way of giving back. Awesome. Well, thank you for giving back. <laughs> and this uh, Successfully Excludes podcast is my way of giving back. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, and what's the other thing that you teach? Um, the other thing that I teach is first-time home buyers, and that's through the Virginia Housing Development Authority. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of grants. Each state is different. So each state has a housing development authority that they can go through and be able to find out what programs or grants are available to them. In Virginia Housing Development Authority, I had to personally take a course to um, learn everything that was available. I also had to learn how to instruct the classes. And once I became certified, I now teach alongside with a mortgage lender and a home inspector um, the course to basically allow first-time home buyers to qualify for grants. It's a two-year certification that they receive. Mm-hmm. So 
you help them to understand what they need to do to be a first time home buyer. And then they get um, some type of certification or certificate mm-hmm. and then they can take that to to where? I mean, what do they do? So they can partner with the realtor. So even though I teach the course, they aren't required to work with me. Okay. So um, I do have a network of realtors as well, so I can refer them to someone. If they choose to work with me, that's fine too. But um, the certification basically teaches them what it means to be a homeowner. So what are those responsibilities? Mm-hmm. It teaches them what to look for when looking at a home. So the home inspector is going through things that are red flags or to look out for. Um, The mortgage lender is teaching them, hey, this is what mortgages are. This is how you make sure that you don't foreclose. Um, This is what you look at as far as your budget. Um, Also, your debt to income ratio to be able to actually qualify for a mortgage. And then you're able to utilize the people who are teaching the course to work with you. So that's your real estate team um, because I tell people all the time, it's a team effort to get you to closing. Mm -hmm. It is not just your realtor. So the realtor is working with the title company. The realtor is working with your attorney that is doing your closing settlement. Um, We're also working with the mortgage lender. We're working with your home inspector. So there's a lot of moving pieces to it. And so sometimes it can get chaotic. But if you have a realtor, they kind of help all those things go together because we all communicate as a team to help you get to clothing to have a successful transaction. Didn't realize it was so many pieces and so many members of the team. And so the realtor is very valuable in keeping that going because in order to qualify for a mortgage, you have to have a job or you're an entrepreneur, but either way you work, yes. right? So if you're doing all of those things and then you're trying to also manage all of these tasks and deliverables that yes. have to happen, it can get a little bit overwhelming. Yes, very much so. So we help you actually lay out like a timeline of what is needed to get you to closing day. And then we stay on top of it. So a lot of times, even if um, like you have a home inspector, maybe we do a home inspection mm-hmm. and now you're waiting on the report. Not all home inspectors give you your report same day. So they may go back to their office, forget to send you that home inspection. Now you're trying to figure out where's my home inspection. And you have a certain time based on your contract to get that information written up and sent back to the seller if you're asking for a repair request. So there's a fine line on like how when do we get it? How do we get it back to the seller and allow the seller to be able to respond to us before that deadline? Because if you miss that deadline, you now can't ask anything of the seller. Wow. Okay. So it's kind of critical yes. that, that you keep the, the entire project, you know, running right. smooth and getting those deadlines on time. And making sure you get your paperwork to your mortgage lender because you have to get to underwriting. And underwriting is where they're actually going to say, yes, you can actually qualify for this mortgage. We need these extra documents from you or what so have you. So it's it's a lot of moving pieces. So you need to make sure you have the right person. And that's an important piece that you're just talking about is getting to underwriting. Because just because you think you're purchasing a home, mm-hmm. nothing's final until it's final. Right? Exactly. So until until you, you get that clear to close, it is not final. <laughs> you know, you've, had, you've had instances where um, the, those type of deals have fallen through. 
Uh, I've heard about people in the process of buying a home have went out and purchased a car. Yes. Or they uh, maxed out a credit card for whatever reason, things like that. So, I've heard about those horror stories. I've never had them happen to me yet. I need wood. Like, I need to <laughs> knock. In my six years of experience, um, this is going on my seventh. I have not had any deals fall through. Well, so. I'm going to call that a testament to you because <laughs> it hasn't happened to you probably because you stay so involved and you're, you're coaching and leading your clients through the process. Yeah. So a lot of times people make purchases like that. I would assume it's a mistake because if you knew and you're trying to buy a home, why would you do that? Yeah. Right? So I just feel like it's something that they weren't educated on. And so I'm going to say that being as that's never happened to you, yes. that's a testament to you as a Yes. And I always tell my clients never to lie on their mortgage application. Okay. Do not falsify how much you make. Do not falsify your job or anything like that. Any little bit of income, whether it's a bonus or anything like that, you need to make sure you're saying that in that application because you get a pre-approval. However, it's not, yeah, they pre-approved me. Let me go buy a house. And that's the final step. Like it can still fall through. If your documentation doesn't match what you gave on that application, then it could be, I told you you were approved for 400000 but that was based on the application you submitted to me. Right. Once you provide this documentation, maybe you only qualify for 300000 but we put in an offer on a $400,000 house. So you just have to make sure that you are truthful with everyone. I am very transparent with my clients and I ask them to be transparent with me. And I set all of this up in my consultation. So before we even start working together and do an agreement that we are mutually agreeing to work together, I make sure to state all of that up front. That's good. So avoid any issues before they even come up, before they even start. Exactly. So I think that's how I avoid any fault uh, <laughs> contracts. Right. What about um, if, if your clients want to buy a brand new home or build a home? How does that work? So that's a longer process. Um, I've worked with clients with the new construction. It's actually something you have to be knowledgeable about as a real estate professional um, because each builder has their own contract. So you're not just working with the state contract. You're working with the builder's contract who's added in all this extra lingo okay. and extra clauses and things. So you have to make sure that you go through that contract ahead of time with your client before saying, yes, we're filling this out. We are signing on the dotted line, build my house. No, let's look through this contract because sometimes there's little loopholes in there that don't protect or isn't in the best interests of your client. Okay. Is there any way to change that or, or negotiate that? Or are you kind of stuck and then maybe you find a different building? Um, no, you can. Everything's negotiable in real estate. If you can think it and both parties agree, then it works. So um, there's been contracts that I've changed up things, mm -hmm. whether it's the down payment that they're requiring or um, maybe they're saying in their contract that after this period of time, they want to be able to receive like a draw out from your lender. Um, we've changed up all kinds of stuff. And as long as both parties agree, we're good. All right. What do you feel is something that has 
really stuck with you from maybe your childhood or something like that that has benefits, benefited you in becoming so successful? Um, I honestly think it's my spiritual upbringing. Um, I rely on God a lot. <laughs> I rely on him a lot. So um, my biggest motto is let your faith be bigger than your fears. And so that is how I go through life. So if I'm fearful of it, I tell my faith to be bigger. Okay. And then I, I act upon it. And I grew up in the church. Um, my grandparents had me at church every week um, and then Bible study on Wednesdays. So my spiritual background just keeps me grounded and I go with everything with God. Awesome. It's always good to have God included in everything. Yes. Help you with your, like I said, your peace and help you to, uh, you know, maintain focus and not be so distracted. Yes. What uh, obstacles have you encountered throughout your career? Not necessarily real estate, but any career that you've had, um, that you've basically just had to overcome and how'd you overcome it? Hmm. That's a great question. Obstacles I've had to overcome. Uh, a lot of times I have been the youngest in the bunch, um, whether that was in corporate America or now in real estate, mm -hmm. that people don't take me serious. Um, or they don't think that I know what I know. Um, they don't have any faith in me. And so to overcome that, I show them through my actions by being a leader, by showing up and, you know, not failing at something. Um, just my knowledge, the way I speak and the way that I show them that I can do this regardless of my age. So that's happened to me in corporate America as well as real estate several times. I guess that can be something that, that really holds uh, people back. Because people do have a perception that younger people don't have experience. Yes. And so I guess the question for them is, where did you get the experience? Or how yeah. did you know these things? Or how are you qualified are to you do qualified? that? Yeah. yeah. So, so you've had to prove that you're qualified many times. Oh, yes. A lot of times. And I just show my track record. So I show what I've done and how I've helped people through different situations. And then also with me being an educator, mm -hmm. I can also show through testimonials. Excellent. So you've done a lot of sports and I hear that a lot. So you know, other people that I've talked to that are successful, a lot of it all, always starts with some kind of foundation in sports and athletics. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was younger, I didn't really see that myself as such an impactful thing. I played just yeah. about every sport um, that you can name. My favorite was basketball, but I played just about every sport. And it does really have uh, a large impact on you. Yes. I never thought it either at a young age. Mm -hmm. It was just something to get me out of the house. Yeah. Something to keep me active. But it definitely played a huge part in my life from teaching you leadership skills to teaching you discipline, um, consistency, dedication. So, yes. And 
Oh, do you have any children? I do. <laughs> so I have three kids. Um, my oldest is Christopher. He's 22. I have Nazaya. She is 16. And I have Malachi, who is 11. Okay. A wide range. Yes. Yes. How did having, uh, you know, not did having, but still having kids impact you in your career path and your career journey? Um, I actually had my first kid at 18. So definitely changed up the trajectory of where I thought I was going. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually headed to college when I found out that I was pregnant. And so things had to change um, because I needed to figure out how was I now going to take care of this little one that I was bringing into the world. Mm-hmm. So um, I was already working. I've been working since I was 15. And so I just decided not to go to college right then and there. Um, I did go to college after. Um, I've done several years of schooling. However, also with a military spouse and traveling so much, you're having to change schools and restart in this college, not except in this school's you know curriculum or classes you've taken. So it was a lot of starting over for me at um, different phases, but um, it allowed me to be able to grow with my children, honestly. So they taught me a lot and I've, I've loved every moment of it. I don't regret any of it. Um, and I realized that I just needed to go out here and, and do it, make it happen. And so that's what I did. You sure did. <laughs> so a lot of people see especially young adults, you know, um, having kids and things like that as a hindrance, they are a financial drain. Yeah. They are a time and attention drain. So how do you balance that? And how did you not allow that to basically hold you back, but you allow that to propel you? Um, Honestly, being a mom and having my children, at a young age, I just made sure to, I, I told my kids that we had me time, Mm -hmm. we had family time, and then we have one-on-one time. And so that was how I like taught them as they grew up. So they understood that if mom is saying, Hey, right now is me time. Cause I'm trying to read a book. Or I'm trying to just get a moment with this wine glass <laughs> that, hey, it's me time. Mom's going to come to me in a moment, okay. you know? And so they understood that because that when it's their time and they're playing with their friends or maybe they're playing with their toys and mom wants to hang out, it's no mom, it's me time. And then when it's family time and maybe we're watching a movie or doing something together, they understood like, okay, this is family time. So then they didn't look at it as oh, mom just don't want to be bothered with me right. or, oh, mom's always telling me bye, like doesn't want to be around me. No, they understood that in order to have a balanced life, that you have to be able to give yourself these moments. And so I think that actually has helped my kids in more ways than, you know, others, because there's also me working as well. So when I was in the nursing field, I was working 12, 14 hour days. And so 
um, that was part of my reason for coming out of nursing was because the kids were like, I never see you. You know, you're coming in and you're going to sleep and then you leave out for work. Like you get up, you make us food and then you're like, bye. So um, I realized that I had to change it because I couldn't balance everything. Because if I'm at work and I'm feeling like these people need me and, you know, we're short staff and they're like, can you work a double? And I'm like, sure, sign me up. But then I'm not thinking about my kids who are at home who also need me. So it it took me just learning how to balance things. And I still do that to this day, even though I'm an entrepreneur and entrepreneurship is actually harder (laughs) than corporate America or the healthcare field. um, I still just have a balance. And I I tell my kids still to this day, like, hey, I'm going to have me time or hey, it's one on one time or it's family time. No. Balance is great. Um, I think balance is fundamental in anything you want to do, mm-hmm. you know, in life, uh, whether it's the things that you eat, like you said, it's the time. A lot of people take their careers and they pour so much into their career that they lack on the family side. Or you have somebody who just wants to hang out and party all the time yes. and then their careers can't excel or their family deteriorates. So you have to be able to put just a little bit of you in each bucket. So that balance is very important, but people struggle with knowing how and when to balance, when to give yes. and you know when to hold back and things like that. So how do you go about balancing your time? How do you know what bucket to put things in? Um, I kind of just listen. When it comes to like my spouse, my kids, I listen to what they say to me so that or their actions. If I notice that my kids are starting to um, get clingy Mm -hmm. to me as soon as I come in the house or something, then I realize that they're needing my attention. I've been too busy and I haven't poured enough in that bucket. So then I'll say, okay, hey, yes, I have so much stuff that I need to do. But how about this? I sit my laptop to the side. We watch an hour and a half movie. I order pizza and let's hang out. It's family time. Um, And so... I try to just look at the actions. If I notice that on my client side, my workload is, you know, building up and I'm getting behind in something, then it's okay. I'm spending too much time in one of these other buckets that I need to make sure that, okay, today is admin day where I'm sitting and I'm getting all of this done and this can be put to the side. So I try to prioritize like what needs to be done first. And then when it comes to my family, I just look at their actions and what they're saying to me. So I'm listening and trying to see how I can give. All right. I think I think I can see how you do that. And I think we can basically take away from that and and learn from that. So one thing I love to do on the Success Leads Clues podcast is I love to, uh, you know, kind of think back over the conversation and recap and try to point out some of the clues that I found, uh, you know, relevant during the conversation and any of the audience or any of the viewers, if you found more clues, um, that's excellent. That's even better. There's no limit on, you know, what you take from the conversation. Absolutely. But a couple of things that I heard you say, uh, most recently, obviously is, uh, time management and balance. Yes. So that's a major, um, you know, key to your success. And that's a, a def- definite clue that 
that we have to take with us in order yes. to be successful. Um, you talked about uh, not giving up, some some stuff about like resilience and things like that that happened in your life. Uh, you know, having kids at an early age, you know, a lot of people can, you know, just give up from that point or, you know, you know, like you said, you were picking out different colleges, but, you know, some would not take the credits from another college and things like that. And that can be, you know, extremely discouraging, but you didn't allow that to, to hold you back. Of course, the things that you got from your upbringing in the church and your faith and things like that and allowing your faith to drive you. Yeah. Um, so I know one of the key elements of life, obviously, you know, you got your, you know, your five, um, you know, pillars that you have to have, like you need food and water, things yes. like that. So um, not necessarily faith, but whatever that, you know, is your um, yeah. religious relationship religious. Yeah. You know, and some type of relationship there. So I appreciate you sharing that with me and I appreciate you sharing that with the audience. Um, I can't wait to see how the rest of this year ends out for you. I know you've got some uh, major goals. Yes. Uh, don't doubt at all that you're going to hit them. Um, you're off to uh, a fantastic start this year. I mean, six and a half million dollars. That's fantastic. It's yeah. phenomenal. And you're doing so many other things with your teaching, uh, the different courses with investing. Mm-hmm. And you said something about coaching, which I don't even think we got into. <laughs> yes. Yes. But um, we'll, we'll get there. And um, I will definitely put any contact for you. Uh, down in the comments so that uh, people can get to know the most amazing realtor in Virginia. So thank you for coming out and y'all take those clues with you and go out and do something great today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.